What was Major League Baseball's biggest story in 2021, and who wins the American and National League MVP awards now? Why is pitching and your club's bullpen so important for October baseball? And what's the state of play in the currently ongoing divisional series? When all of this is said and done, does an MLB insider even get an off-season? And which Australian rules team is said MLB insider now going to be supporting? This is Beyond the Lead with an Australian's guide to the 2021 MLB playoffs with Jeff Passan. It's October, and that can only mean one thing. Spooky season and postseason baseball. It's a 162-game regular season now concluded, MLB has lurched into playoff mode, with eight teams doing battle in the best-of-five divisional series matchups for a chance to compete for their respective league's pennants in the championship series before then, if all things go right, maybe bringing home a World Series crown. Two clubs have already been eliminated thus far. The Red Sox sending their old foes the New York Yankees home in the AL wildcard game, and the Los Angeles Dodgers eliminating the St. Louis Cardinals in the NL wildcard. Now, the Red Sox are taking it up to the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Dodgers are clashing with NL West rivals the San Francisco Giants in their respective divisional series, while the Houston Astros face Ozzie Liam Hendricks and his Chicago White Sox, and the Atlanta Braves face the Milwaukee Brewers. Graciously giving up some of his time to break it all down for Beyond the Lead is ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passan. One of baseball's leading voices, Jeff's work and Twitter feed is an absolute must-follow for fans of baseball that actually want to know what's really going down, and he's also a published author whose work you can find across the internet. Heading into the playoffs, he'd been excitedly keeping track, not just of all the excitement of a playoff race, but especially the madcap race for the final wildcard places in the American League, which came down to a final day scenario that could have seen the Yankees, Red Sox, Toronto Blue Jays, and my Seattle Mariners all tie and be forced to stage playoffs just to get into the playoffs. Unfortunately for fans of the yarn and chaos, that didn't happen. You know, the odds were so low that the idea that it was going to happen was probably a pipe dream to begin with, but I was still rooting for it anyway. I don't, here's the thing. I don't get to root for teams, so yes. I'm just being extraordinarily selfish, and I want to cover winner-takes-all games. So uh, that that is where that came from, and it didn't happen, but that's okay. We've had some good games so far. Mate, rooting for the yarn, the, the guiding principle of the journalist, rooting for the best story, but we did <laughs> – end up getting through the wildcard games and now we're in the divisional series for both the AL and the NL. I did want to ask you though, as a reporter yesterday, um, we had four games across the length of the day. How are you as an MLB insider covering all of that sort of stuff and making sure you're not missing anything with all of that sort of stuff and your other responsibilities? Yeah, not particularly well. Um, <laughs> watching, watching multiple games at the same time is not an easy thing to do. So 
thankfully the the advent of streaming and of iPads allowed me to uh, have a couple games on at the same time and uh, I'd be lying if I said I uh, watched them with the precision that I typically do but I got the gist of it. I figured out what was going on and, and the games that were in the later innings are the ones I tend to gravitate toward anyway but um, the the Giants and Dodgers was the main attraction and I think uh, first game at least lived up to lived up to the billing. Of course, postseason baseball infers the completion of the regular season. So before we get to the divisional series, and I'd like to quickly just ask, what were some of the biggest things, like maybe for our Aussie listeners weren't um, following along too much, what were some of the biggest things that jumped out to you as storylines from 2021? The first proper full season back after COVID, what jumped out to you? I think the story of the season was Shohei Otani. You know, he comes over from Japan a few years ago and tries to do this thing that we haven't seen since the Negro Leagues, which is pitch and hit and sometimes do so in the same game. And to have the talent and the ability to do so is remarkable. To have the mental fortitude and wherewithal to compound that physical element uh, is incredible, but to have the the strength and the ability to stay healthy throughout this extraordinarily long six month baseball season, where you're taking a couple of trips a week and especially from the West Coast, flying a lot of miles, that to me is the most impressive part of it. We we've known for a long time now that Shohei Otani's extremely talented at pitching and at hitting, but the question was going to be when he's healthy. Can he stay that way? And the fact that he did uh, and had an amazing season with his bat and had a fantastic season with his arm, I mean, he's, to me, the undisputed most valuable player of the American League. And on the National League side, the individual performances were all really good. But uh, to me, the most interesting story there was the battle between the Giants and the Dodgers. You know, you have this Dodgers team that is – incredibly moneyed, uh, more than 250 million US dollar payroll. It's a ton of money to spend on players. And beyond that, they've drafted and developed and signed internationally really well too. So it's not like this is just some financial behemoth that goes out there and brings in the best players. No, they bring in the best players and they also develop the best players. And to go out and get a guy like Max Scherzer, the ace right-hander and Trey Turner, the fantastic shortstop who's been playing second base to get them both in one trade at the trade deadline made this super team even more super. And yet they still couldn't win their division because the San Francisco giants come out of nowhere and win 107 games to the Dodgers, 106 and the Dodgers snuck by the St. Louis Cardinals in the wild card round to force this matchup in the first round of the playoffs between the giants and the Dodgers. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun so far and I think is going to continue to be because uh, these are the two best teams in baseball in 2021 and one of them is going to be done with another two rounds left in the playoffs. I mean, we had Liam Hendricks on um, Beyond the Lead a, a few weeks ago, and he, with a very straight face, described Otani as putting up Ruthian-like season. And it's yeah. not often you get players that you can, without hyperbole, say that about. So it sounds like you think, with all apologies to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he's nailed on for the AL MVP. Who have you got for the NL MVP? Because it's difficult, because so many of the best candidates ended up missing the postseason. 
Yeah, I'm I'm not going to say with all apologies to Vlad Guerrero either. I don't apologize for that vote. <laughs> it, it's honestly, I think it's too easy one. I'm glad that I'm not National League MVP voter this year mm-hmm. because the race uh, with Juan Soto and Bryce Harper and Fernando Tatis Jr., it's, it's too close to call. You know, Harper had a, a phenomenal offensive year not very good in right field. Soto had uh, an incredibly efficient season, Uh, you know, doesn't strike out a lot, does walk a lot, had a 460 plus on base percentage, which we just don't see in Major League Baseball anymore. But he was on a horrendous team. And Fernando Tatis Jr. was on the most disappointing team in all of baseball this year. But uh, in the National League, he was by far the best player in terms of wins per game played. Now, the thing is, games played is where this might ultimately get down to. And Juan Soto is in the lead there. Now, I think a lot of people are going to have a difficult time voting him MVP just because, you know, he he's on a team that's as bad as it is. Like the, the Nationals have been a terrible team this season, but uh, he was able to put up the numbers that he did in spite of that. And just in terms of pure offensive production alone, it's probably Soto. But the fact that Harper and Tatis were both in the race, uh, at least in the playoff race, I think is going to weigh in their favor, too. I, I have no idea where this is going to end up. I'm really excited to see what happens with the National League MVP and the National League Cy Young, too, which has four candidates with Zach Wheeler, Corbin Burns, Max Scherzer and Walker Bueller. It's rather peculiar to think about. You mentioned Harper there for the NL MVP. The Phillies could end up with the NL MVP and the NL Cy Young and still miss the playoffs. Very Philadelphia Phillies thing, isn't it? Yeah, and JT Real Muto is one of probably the 10 to 15 best players in the National League. So uh, they have incredible top-end talent and uh, a pathetically shallow rest of the <laughs> roster and and this is this is the problem for the phillies they they get good performances from some but not enough from all and it's why the giants won 107 games this year despite not having a player like harper or pitcher like wheeler uh, uh well buster posey's pretty close to, to jt real muto but yeah. uh you know the the giants just you, you look at their their lineup for game two julio Arias is out there for the dodgers and they're able to start a, a lineup of, of their eight hitters, uh, non-pitchers in their lineup. Seven of them are right-handed. I mean, playoffs are in action in there, and you mentioned Arias, and it seems like so often in baseball, the cliche is in the playoffs, it's pitching that wins you baseball games. And it's not especially bullpen pitching, not just your starters, your idea to go into a deep bullpen. Maybe for some of our more, like I said, Australian auditors, maybe they're more used to cricket, which features the same four or five guys bowling for five days straight. Um, What is the advantage that having a great bullpen gives you in the postseason? And maybe secondly, who do you think has the best pitching, the best bullpen in these playoffs? Well, it's a couple of things. Number one, having a good bullpen allows you margin for error because in a playoff game, especially in this division series round where it's best of five series as opposed to the league championship series and world series, which are best of seven, every game counts that much more because you only have to lose three to lose the series. And so managers are going to be a lot likelier to go out if a starting pitcher is ineffective and get him in the second or third inning because they don't want a game to get away from them at that point. And they feel like giving their hitters more outs, more chances to 
even things up is strategically correct. And so, so there are some games where you're going to have to have your bullpen going five, six, seven innings. And, uh, you know, we saw this with the Boston Red Sox in game two. They got down five to two in the first inning after Chris Sale gave up a grand slam, took him out after one inning, and their bullpen was incredibly effective for the next eight innings. The, the second part of this is, Sometimes if you don't have the starting pitching depth, you may have to bullpen an entire game. And, uh, you know, that's calling out five, six, seven, eight, sometimes nine guys to go in and pitch an inning to two innings at a time. And, and these guys tend to be very strategically deployed. You know, every organization has a chart that says which hitters the pitchers match up best against. And it's the duty and it's incumbent on the manager to go and put his guys in the position where they're facing those who might not be as likely to get hits off of them. And so it can be a strategic element in addition to sort of a backup plan. Mm, advanced analytics, which aren't money ball, which might come as a surprise to a lot of the Australian football teams over here that declare the use of analytics, any use of analytics to be money ball. But um, talking about pitching, <laughs> We, we had one uh, first game of this Giants-Dodgers series, one of the great playoff pitching performances from Giants right-hander Logan Webb. I know you were a really big fan of his performance. Seven and two-thirds shutout innings, five hits allowed, 10 strikeouts, zero walks. Just in context, how good of a performance was that from Webb? I'm not going to call it a historically great performance because let's remember it's in game one of a division series. It's not like he's doing this going out to clinch the world series or anything like that. But if you look back at uh, pitchers who have had 10 strikeouts and no walks in their first postseason game, which it was for Logan Webb, the list in history is now four. If you go back and look at, uh, pitchers who had uh, at least seven and two thirds innings, no runs, no walks, 10 plus strikeouts. Uh, again, the list is four guys. One of them is Logan Webb. So uh, he's put himself in some pretty elite company in terms of just the raw numbers. But beyond that, the way that he executed all of his pitches was really quite brilliant. He's a guy who's known for a fastball that sinks a lot. And that's the kind of pitch that tends to induce ground balls. So you don't see many strikeouts with pitchers like that. But uh, what Logan Webb was able to do was use his changeup, which fades into right-handers at about 88 miles per hour compared to the sinker going in on them at 92 to 93. And his slider, which runs away from hitters at about 82 miles per hour and generate between those two uh, nearly 20 swings and misses, which is a lot for a single game. So to be a ground ball and strikeout pitcher, that is the absolute ideal in what you're looking for for a starting pitcher. And Logan Webb delivered against a really good Dodgers lineup. I mean, it is a really good uh, Dodgers lineup. And that kind of led into like preseason. It felt like discussions of the NL West. It was about the Dodgers, the death star of talent at the Dodgers with their payroll and the Padres who were making all of these moves felt like the Giants weren't talked about a lot. And then here we come to the end of the season. It's the Giants who have won the NL West and they're streaking away. Do you think they have what it takes to knock off the behemoth that is the Dodgers and make a deep run in October? No question about it. And listen, a one game to none lead. And, and we're talking right now for full transparency during the second Dodgers-Giants game, which is 
just a terrible move by me not to wait until this was over. But <laughs> time zones are a bitch. So, we, you know, we had to figure that out. Um, but but having a one game uh, to none lead, it matters a lot in a best of five. And anyone who looks at the Giants right now and thinks they can't be the dog beat the Dodgers just doesn't really know baseball. Now, even after that first game, even after the advantage it confers on them, um, I still think that the Dodgers are extremely dangerous. I think that they are the better team, but I've been saying all year long that they're the better team and you see where that's gotten me. Uh, you know, the, the Dodgers lost uh, the season series to the Giants 10 to nine. They lost uh, the division to the Giants, 107 wins to 106. And now the, the Giants are threatening to beat them for a third time in this division series. I mean, you talk about how big a 1-0 lead in a divisional series is. And in a divisional series, a 2-0 lead is huge. And unfortunately for, I'll call him a friend of the pod, even though it's probably a one-way friendship, Liam Hendricks and the Chicago and his Chicago White Sox, they're staring down the barrel of a 2-0 deficit to the Houston Astros with the here series heading back to Chicago. Do you think the White Sox, are they capable of turning this around? They've won the AL Central for the first time in, I think it's 11 years. But is it just going to be straight sets and outs of this Houston Astros lineup? They're capable of turning <laughs> it around. But when you look historically, 2-0 leads are held by the team that has them 88% of the time. So we're looking at like a 1-8 a shot. And, and I don't know if I would even give the White Sox that at this point. Houston's offense is just a wrecking crew. And when you look at what the problems are with the White Sox right now, it goes beyond the 2-0 deficit. They're looking at game three. They're Carlos Radon, who's uh, been out and limited with a shoulder injury, or Dylan Cease, who's had a good year, but uh, is susceptible to uh, fits of wildness. And, and so the, the Astros do a better job than anyone of avoiding the strikeout. That to me, it, it, it doesn't mean if you strike out a lot that you're going to have a difficult time in the playoffs. It just makes it a lot easier if you don't. And that's what the Houston Astros are. They're a team that does not strike out, uh, at least compared to its peers. And because of that, uh, you know, when when every each of the 27 outs is a game is as imperative as it is, it makes it that much more difficult for pitchers to navigate that lineup that just doesn't give away outs particularly easily. As, as someone that's fully ensconced in the baseball scene over there in the U.S., are the Astros still seen as like the pro wrestling yes. villains of this? In, they yes. still are. Yeah. Still oh, yeah, very yeah. much they're, after the controversy. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're seen as the heels. They're seen yeah. as. The, the the villains they're seen as the cheaters um yeah. and you know <laughs> you bring things upon yourself the consequences yeah. of of your decisions are very real and they chose to do something and they will live with it for the rest of their careers but to me, at least, I don't look at them as diminished in 2021. I would like to believe they're not still cheating four years later. It would be an act of incredible hubris and stupidity to do so. And maybe it takes that same sort of hubris to do it the first time. And uh, I'm just giving them a pass where they haven't earned it. But the reality is uh, if the Dodgers are, excuse me, if the Astros are playing clean 
And I, I do believe that they are playing clean at this point. You got to look at them and what they've done this season. What they've done so far in the short postseason is awfully impressive. Mm. Yeah, I do try to follow it along, but following on on the internet, the internet is not a reflection of reality sometimes. So you always have to ask these questions. But also, yeah. probably down under the most well supported team still playing in these playoffs down under the Boston Red Sox. You mentioned is that before. So? Yeah, they've got a, quite a large following down under the Boston. Yeah, what Arsenal. is the? I, I was going to say, what is the? Can you give me like top five teams among Australians? I'm kind of curious where where that stands. It's probably reflective, I would say, of just who the biggest sides are and who who are the so ones. We're, that, so we're looking Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs. Yeah, maybe not so much the Cubs, just because they weren't successful. For so long, I think it's yeah. it's the ones that have permeated pop culture the most, I would, I would say. So not so much a bit of success, but also pop culture. For lack of a better word, the ones with the most famous baseball caps. Um, so you, Yeah, so you'll get the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, those major market sides that carry the most support, which how I ended up a Mariners fan and with the longest playoff drought in baseball history, I have no idea how to tell you, but um, that's the way it is. But And we also have you're, a decent... You're a masochist. That's how you end up a Mariners fan. Yeah, yeah I'd say that. But um, we also have a decent <laughs> Irish population here in Australia, which helps as well, the Boston links and all of that sort of stuff. So I, I would say that, or maybe it's just my Twitter timeline. And once again, reality <laughs> is not reflective. Um, but they did tie the series up with the Tampa Bay Rays um, the other night and Chris Sale a bit lit up in the first inning, uh, five runs put up on him, but then you say, as you mentioned, their bullpen get them back and then they kind of explode really in a playoff series defined by good pitching. They, they and the Rays combined for 14 to six victory for the Red Sox. I mean, heading back to Boston, that seems evenly poised. Yeah, I mean, the first game, the Rays shut them out and the Red Sox managed nine hits, all singles. The second game, uh, they get 20 hits, nine extra base hits, five home runs. Kike Hernandez, five hits himself. J.D. Martinez, who had sprained his ankle, slipping on second base while running to his outfield position, comes back and gets four hits in his first game uh, back. And this is what the lineup can do. The, you know, the Red Sox are are so helter-skelter and all season long have shown stretches where they can be absolutely phenomenal and other stretches where they don't look like they could beat me, you, and seven guys off the street. And so uh, if the Boston Red Sox team that showed up in game two stays there for the rest of the series, Tampa Bay is going to have a real fight on its hands. And we can't forget the Rays also won a hundred games this season. So it's not like one loss. It's not like the loss of home field advantage is going to doom them going forward, but they've put themselves in a position where they need to go into Fenway park and take at least one game. I mean, the Rays so consistently successful despite being in a division with the free spending Yankees and Red Sox and um, the Blue Jays are coming up as well. Are the Rays the best run organization in baseball? Yeah, <laughs> it's them. And it's kind of the Dodgers, too. Like the, the Dodgers, if you want to look at a team that has all of the principles that the Rays do in terms of how they run themselves organizationally, except they have a bunch of money too, like they're the Yankees. 
that that's what the Dodgers are. And it's no surprise. Andrew Friedman is their president of baseball operations. And uh, he was the general manager in Tampa Bay for a long time. And, and part of this ascendancy that the Rays have had. But it's almost like since he left, they've taken these processes that were in place and perfected them. And one thing that really stands out about the Rays organization, uh, I think it goes beyond what you're seeing on the field. They have a really good culture and culture and management are difficult things to quantify. Uh, you know, I mean, if you told me that we win a bunch of games, uh, ergo, we have a good culture. I, I might believe that because you wonder in this, is this a chicken and egg question? What comes first culture or wins? And, and you might be able to argue convincingly that if you win, the culture is going to be good, but it's just little anecdotes about how the Rays treat their players, how they get buy-in from them, the communication between the staff and the clubhouse, the communication between the staff and the front office, uh, how all of these groups inside of the organization, whether it's scouting, player development, international, all coalesce really well. And that goes back to Eric Neander, who just got promoted to their president of baseball operations, and he runs a really good organization. And it's the kind of thing that, a team like the New York Mets could use. And, and part of the reason I think that the Mets are in the position that they're in right now, it's because, well, they uh, have a pretty bad culture there and it's been that way for a while. Well, I mean, I wasn't planning on asking this, but I might as well, do you have a worst run team in baseball? Do you think, can you identify just one? The worst run team in baseball. Um, I mean, the Mets find a way to screw up a lot, so they're up there. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism about the Colorado Rockies and how they go about things. And I, I think the worst run teams, you almost look at the ones that uh, just don't develop their own players. That, that's, that, that, to me, as much as anything, is indicative of where an organization is. How do you do drafting and signing international free agents and taking them from uh, whether they're 16 and they sign internationally or whether they're an 18 year old high school player or a 21 year old college player, how do you transition them into your organization and help them grow? And if you can't do that, that's the fundamental building block of good baseball teams. And uh, the Rockies simply have not drafted and developed well over the last half decade or so. Mm -hmm. which is a shame because that's actually one of the few ballparks i've been to and it's a really great experience it's beautiful yeah. yeah i mean denver denver's an incredible city like yeah. they they should be able to build something there but there's also the fact that denver is 5280 feet up in the air and uh, the the ball and the game itself just played differently there and when you have that when it's diff when historically you know for the 25 years plus the rockies have been around you can't figure out how to consistently develop good pitching there. I mean, a quarter century doesn't lie. You know, this has been over multiple administrations where we've seen this. And uh, the, there are some parts of the Rockies that work. Um, that so far is not one of them. And we should also get to last, but certainly not least, um, a series between I should say, another one, a well-supported team here in Australia, the Atlanta Braves, that dominant period they had in the 90s. Uh, at the same time, globalization of sports really became a thing, helps them out. They're facing mm -hmm. up against the Brewers, the Braves um, earlier today, um, leveling that series. Uh, no, sorry, the yeah, leveling the series at one apiece. That seems to really be perhaps another series that is going to be decided on 
who can who can get, chase the starting picture first? Who can exhaust yeah. the bullpens first? The Brewers may have the best one, two, three starting pitchers, and and the Dodgers could argue otherwise with Scherzer, Bueller, and, and Arias. But the fact that the Brewers could toss out Corbin Burns, who went six shutout innings in Game One, Brandon Woodruff, who's been phenomenal this season, gave up three runs in Game Two, but was pretty effective otherwise, and then come back with Freddie Peralta in game three and, and Freddie Peralta has been phenomenal this year, huge strikeout rate um, that makes them the favorite in this series. But I picked the Braves because honestly, I just don't trust the Brewers to hit. And I think I've kind of been vindicated with that over these first couple of games. Um, they get shut out and Max Fried's been unbelievable this season, especially in the second half. So it's, you know, it's no insult to get shut down by Max Fried, but, this game three, I think whoever wins game three wins this series. It feels like one of those really pivotal games, and you don't know where the Brewers are going to be going with their pitching uh, in game four. I, I do have concern over the uh, over Atlanta's bullpen, and it was able to to navigate past Freed uh, and shut down the Brewers in game two. W- Will Smith, though, is a, is a heart attack. He always trends on Twitter. Uh, because Braves fans just get completely nervous and start panicking online. And that, that's a very healthy way to do things, you know, just curse Will Smith. And and yet he uh, he locked down the save in game two and uh, leveled the series. Mm. And yourself, Jeff, I did want to ask you, because I'm, I'm fascinated by, you know, just the process of somebody like such as yourself, you're one of, you're an MLB insider. You're one of the leading baseball reporters Well, in America, ergo, that means in the world. What's your approach to covering baseball during the playoffs? I mean, does everything just get put to the back burner whilst you watch and analyze the playoff games? Or are you trying to do all the playoff stuff and also keep an eye on everything else going on? I mean, we saw the Pirates today, uh, probably another contender for one of the worst run franchises in baseball, um, dismiss their third base coach. So other stuff is happening. What's your approach to covering everything at the moment? Uh, you ever see a, a chicken with its head cut off? That's me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just just running around aimlessly and, and hoping that I, I catch up with the right things. Because here's, here's the thing. It's not just the, the hirings and firings that are going on. Right now, there are 20 teams, I guess 22 with two already out of the postseason, that are finalizing their offseason plans and free agency is going to start the day after the world series and there are going to be trades and the collective bargaining agreement expires on december 1st and the reality is at this point they're they're going right toward a lockout so if there's a labor stoppage then the there's going to be a shutdown on moves and so this offseason may get very quiet and contentious i mean they're just there's always different stories going on so as much as i like focusing on the games and as much as i try to do that i can't take your eye off the other things having covered the uh collective bargaining agreement between a-league players and the league at the end of last season when covid hit and budgets got slashed that wasn't uh you know the pain Yeah, you don't feel the pain. But, I mean, do you get a chance to take some weeks off after the World Series? Do you get a – does Jeff Besson get a vacation? No. The uh, 
the the truth is uh i when people ask oh so your season's over you must get some downtime now i actually my my real season starts after the world series because uh the transactions people love that sort of stuff and uh, oh, it's just as important to a lot of them as the games are so uh no vacation uh i'll, I'll take vacation when i retire i got some time it's probably a probably a lot of teams put more well a lot of fans enjoy the transactions more than the games oh, don't yeah. they because the transactions come with hope whereas the games yeah, have a funny way of killing it that's couldn't have put it any better than that the transactions you always want to believe when your team signs someone or when they make a trade for a guy that that person's going to be part of the core for this world series winning team that you've been waiting for for however many years you know if you're if you're a cleveland fan you've been waiting for it almost 75 years now if you were a red sox fan you waited 86 if you were a cubs fan you waited 106 i mean uh, it's been a long time for some of these or if you're a mariners fan you've waited for literally forever so uh, a lot you know a lot of these a lot of these transactions have significant meaning to people and because of that uh i'm employed so thank you everyone i appreciate the interest uh, well, as a Mariners fan, I just take a playoff appearance at this point. I think more so than it would be nice. Else. But, but Jeff, you've been super generous with your time. I mean, this game's still going on, so I want to let you get back to that so you can see that. But before you go, lastly, maybe maybe you can answer this. Maybe you'd just prefer to tell me. Maybe I'd ask who wins the World Series, or maybe if you don't want to say that, who doesn't win this year's World Series? Oh my goodness. See, here's the problem. If we knew the result of the Giants Dodgers <laughs> game before ending this, I would have it like if the Dodgers hold on, I will have much more confidence in my pre-playoff pick, which was that the World uh, World Series is going to be Dodgers over the Astros. If the Giants win game 2, again, that number, 88%. Not a great chance for the Dodgers to come back, especially with that fifth and deciding game in San Francisco. So, um see if it's Astros Giants in the World Series I might actually pick the Astros who's not going to win the World Series the Chicago White Sox there you go and you know what watch them turn around win that series and all because of something I said on ESPN Australian podcast uh, I'm gonna wear it for the rest of my life I actually would deserve that uh, well I'm sorry we Liam Liam I'm very <laughs> sorry I hope to see you throwing lots of strikes and no balls like you always do uh, well, Liam was bang on with his prediction for the AFL Grand Final. So was he had one win on an ESPN Australia. Yes, he picked the Demons to win the Grand Final. A weird Grand Final. He played in his hometown for just the second time in like over a hundred years. The game's been outside of Melbourne, so he's got one win thus far this okay, season. So, on so who were who were the Demons playing? Uh, they were playing the Western Bulldogs, who aren't okay. from yeah, West yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, uh, in in a meeting of Bulldog versus Demon, of course you pick the Demon. Come on. Well, it's funny. We, we talk about droughts. It was actually the Demons had the longest droughts in Australian rules football uh, going into that uh, premiership, coming up against a Western Bulldog side that only a few years ago broke what was the longest drought between premierships in um, AFL history. So there has been quite a few drought breaking wins in baseball and Australian rules uh, in the last few years, as it turns out. So um, am I allowed to, am I allowed to be a demons fan now? Can I be a bandwagon jumper? 
You can absolutely uh, join. Well, it depends. What's your opinion on cheese boards and uh, going away to the snow after, or historically going away to the snow after being knocked out of the finals? I like cheese boards. There you go. You can. <laughs> you, I'm sure the Demon Army will welcome you in with open arms. <laughs> okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I need to understand this better. How does one? How does one? become associated as an organization or a franchise with cheese boards because i'm a little bit rusty on it the demons traditionally uh rather well-to-do fan base um historically australian rules a lot of our teams from melbourne uh have their links to certain suburbs uh in melbourne that carried their own sort of identity built up from those suburbs the western bulldogs from footscray a lot of immigrants in Footscray, traditionally, that sort of stuff. Melbourne from the suburb, the centre of Melbourne, very well-to-do area. And I believe, so there was that tradition. And then I believe there was a famous picture of a Melbourne fan at a game with a cheese board on their lap during uh, a game. I'm sure if you could Google that, you could find that. So that's where that's come from. And I think even Melbourne in recent years might have got in on the act and sold a special Melbourne brand cheese board. Okay. Um, I, I, I mean, how can you not root for a team that likes cheese boards? I'm not saying bringing a cheese board to a game is a great idea, but who that is not lactose intolerant does not love cheese. Cheese well, is phenomenal. Cheese, cheese, cheese is one of the great reasons to live. Well, does that mean you're a Green Bay fan? No. Why would I ever do that to myself? <laughs> <laughs> the cheese heads as it were well i, mean, I know i know i know i, I, I know I, I just teasing. well i can say how could you not like that as a bulldogs fan that just saw my team get pantsed by them in the grand final i can think of one or two ways to All right, one of two reasons not to like the uh i'm, I'm the sorry game. i'm sorry to be this this snooty ass australian <laughs> rules fan but i'm sorry demons is too good of a name can't pass it up can't pass the cheese there you go. Jeff Bassan. If, if not anything from this, the Melbourne Demons have found themselves another fan. If they're smart, maybe they'll uh, get in touch and send you some merchandise for the 2022 season. <laughs> Thank you, Joey. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, Jeff, really appreciate you coming on. Enjoy the rest of the series and, well, don't enjoy the, Well, enjoy the off-season, even if you don't get a break during it. You can read new Melbourne Demons fan Jeff Passon's work on ESPN.com and be sure to keep an eye and an ear out for his next podcast or television appearance. You might just learn something. Likewise, you can follow the playoff action from Major League Baseball on ESPN and keep up with everything else that you need to know on ESPN.com.au. But for now, I'd like to thank you for joining us on another edition of ESPN's Beyond the Lead this time for a guide to the MLB playoffs with ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passan. I've been your host, Joey Lynch, and as a reminder, you can catch this episode, every other episode of Beyond the Lead, and indeed all of ESPN's collection of fine podcasts and audio goodness, including one of my favourites in Baseball Tonight with Buster Olney, wherever you do so happen to get your podcasting and audio goodness from. If you're enjoying Beyond the Lead or any of those other aforementioned podcasts, be sure to subscribe, leave a famous five-star review, and help spread the word. 
Thanks for listening today, tomorrow, or whenever you happen to be listening in. And do not fret, as I'll catch you soon for another deep dive into the world of sports as ESPN takes you beyond the lead very soon.